everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. I've been thinking a lot lately about the implied economics of monster hunting, and I think I've formulated a workable theory. I'm pretty sure that the fancier a monster dresses, the less expensive it is to kill them. Take your Dracula, for example. This guy's fancy as all get out. He's basically wearing a tuxedo with a cape, plus he's got that big fancy medal that he probably won in a blood drinking contest, and he's probably got some kind of rings or something too. He's always dressed like he's about to go to the opera, and sometimes he is going to the opera. But if you're looking to kill him, all you really need is a stick. You go one rung down the fancy ladder, I think that's where you're going to find Frankenstein's creature. Clearly, he does not have as put together a look as Dracula, but he's still making an effort. He's either got that blazer on, or he's got some kind of a fur vest, dress shoes, pair of slacks. Like I said, he's not dressed to the nines like Dracula, but he's still going to get led into most places. To kill him, also pretty economically feasible. The guy hates fire. Now, ideally for that, you got a Zippo, but if worse comes to worse, you can just rub two sticks together. So, twice as expensive to kill as Dracula, but you're still not breaking the bank. Then you get werewolves. If these guys are wearing any clothes, it's usually just a torn pair of pants. Never got any shoes on. He's got a shirt. It's falling apart. And that's why, if you're gonna kill one, you're gonna need to break out the checkbook. Because not only are you going to need some kind of a gun, but you're also going to need a silver bullet. This is a big step up from a couple of sticks. We are talking precious metals now. That is how badly these guys dress. The only classic monster who dresses worse than a werewolf is a mummy. These guys are wearing rags and dust and that's it. It is not a good look. Now how do you kill a mummy? Well, you're going to need some kind of a spell. And to read that spell, you're going to need to know how to decipher hieroglyphics. That's right. To defeat a mummy, you need the most expensive weapon of all. A college education with possibly some postgraduate classes as well. So all this is why if I ever get turned into a creature from the Black Lagoon or whatever... I am going to make sure that I wear only stained tidy whiteies and just a shredded, like, Big Johnson's shirt or whatever. I want a monster hunter to take one look at me and think, fuck, where am I going to get a Bentley made out of plutonium? Forget it. I'm going to let this guy eat as many townspeople as he wants. Anybody around here seen a ghost with a monocle and a top hat? I'm on a budget. Anyway... We got a podcast to do, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Eric Engelhard. We watch Olympic gymnasts to see if they flop miss. We listen to Hub's podcast to hear his synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Eric. I think some people listen to this podcast to hear me flop miss. And I hope those people enjoyed my exploration of the economics of monster hunting. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 41, March 1988. Hidden Agenda. Written by Marv Wolfman, 
trotted by Eduardo Barreto, inked by Kim DeMolder, colored by Adrienne Roy, lettered by Albert de Guzman, and edited by Barbara Randall. Teen Titan Roll Call, Nightwing, Starfire, Wonder Girl, Beast Boy, Cyborg, Raven, Jericho, and Danny Chase. Previously in New Teen Titans, our heroes emerge triumphant from their prolonged tussle with supposedly septicentenarian but secretly seventh generation single centenarian evil cult leader Brother Blood. Hooray! During the course of their battle, the gang learned that Blood came from a long line of weird jerks who lived a long time, had magic powers, tended to murder their dads, and liked to lick blood off of things. Gross! Our heroes also learned that the Church of Blood's second-in-command, the malevolent major domo known as Mother Mayhem, was pregnant with Brother Blood's child. Once the fight was over, Raven used her magical nonsense to remove Blood's powers and erase his memories. Mother Mayhem and the rest of the cult's criminal clerics were thrown in jail. Soon after, concluding their conflict with the Church of Blood, the Titans ran afoul of a sinister CEO who liked to dress up like a gnu and murder his rivals. This unscrupulous ungulate aficionado called himself the Wildebeest and attempted to frame Starfire for murder. Dick's detective skills foiled the attempt at framing, but the Wildebeest escaped and in the process revealed that his CEO persona was but one of many alter egos the horn-having heel had assumed. In subsequent adventures, our heroes encountered a red-haired freckled child named Danny Chase, who, despite his tender age, was already an accomplished international super spy with powerful telekinetic abilities. Impressed by the prowess of this pubescent powerhouse, the gang asked Danny to join the team. Danny accepted, but with the caveat that he would not be using a codename or wearing a costume, and he would be eating weird sandwiches that gross me and Corey out. In other Titans news, despite having introduced the gang to his girlfriend Tish just two issues ago, last issue Jericho started having a crush on Starfire. Also, also, over the course of the last hundred issues or so, our heroes have at various times fought a pair of part alien brothers with elemental powers, a murderous jerk who makes deadly robo-puppets, a diminutive wisecracking technomancer, an incompetent daddy's boy in a fancy suit, and a trio of trident-wielding tryhards, two of whom murdered the third member of their triad. Gadzooks! How will Jericho deal with having two objects of his affection? Does the already overpowered Danny Chase reveal any additional abilities? And after nearly killing Nightwing and trying to frame Starfire for murder, what will Wildebeest do in this issue to further earn my enmity? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so he adds a third love interest. He sure does. And he assembles a team of supervillains and does not name them the Gnu Crew. Talk about missed opportunities. Cyborg is out skating at Rockefeller Plaza with his girlfriend slash physical therapist, Dr. Sarah Charles. Vic is like, you know what's great? When things stay the same forever and don't change. Look at us, for example. Our relationship is perfect, just the way it is. I hope it never changes. Dr. Charles is like, um, yeah, about that. I totally agree with you, except that I just got offered a job in San Francisco as head of the Star Labs Medical Division. Vic is like, well, that sucks. I'm going home. Bye. Sarah is like, wait a minute, Vic, you can move out there with me. They have very large burritos, 
and probably sourdough bread bowls filled with rice-a-roni. I guess Cyborg must think that sounds like too much starch, because he just keeps walking. Speaking of Star Labs, while Vic and Sarah are having their skate and chat, Wildebeest is busy busting into Star Labs' New York headquarters. The interestingly attired intruder punches through the walls of the building with his mitten-clad fists and starts making a beeline for the medical facilities. He's clearly familiar with both the building's layout and defensive systems, but seems unprepared for the arrival of two of the compound's newest security officers. Thunder and Lightning Thunder and Lightning are two brothers from Vietnam who have magic powers because their dad was an alien or something. They had a misunderstanding-based run-in with the Titans a while ago, but since then have been working for Star Labs and honing their powers. Lightning is real fast and can shoot electricity out of his hands, and Thunder is strong and tough. The super-powered siblings confront the costumed creep and tell him to knock it off and go home. But Wildebeest doesn't want to knock it off and go home, so he throws a grenade at them instead. Then he bursts into a secret room where it turns out Star Labs has been keeping our old pal Mother Mayhem. Wildebeest grabs the Machiavellian matriarch of the Church of Blood and leaps out of the window. Since they're on, like, the 50th floor of a skyscraper, this seems like a weird thing to do, even for a guy who has based his villainous aesthetic on an animal which could be charitably described as the Volvo of the antelope world. But it turns out there's a helicopter hovering nearby. The vehicle's pilot, a henchman named Boyle, scoops him out of the air and flies away. By this time, Thunder and Lightning have recovered from getting blown up, so they give chase to the conspicuous kidnapper. But Wildebeest shoots lightning with a giant gun, which slows the brothers down long enough for the chopper to make its escape. A little while later, back at the Titan Tower, Cyborg is mopily welding random shit together when Beast Boy comes into the room and starts singing hot dog jingles at him. Vic is in no mood for Gar's bullshittery and tells the adolescent Danamorph to fuck off. Unfortunately for the universe in general, Beast Boy has never been one to take fuck off for an answer. The Emerald Irritant insists on pestering his partially Promethean pal and filling him in on the latest gossip. This is especially unwelcome, as a portion of said gossip centers around Cyborg's ex-not-really-girlfriend Sarah Sims, and Vic is trying his best not to think about Sarah's right now. Eventually, the sulky cybernetic superhero prevails upon his boundary-ignoring buddy to give him a little space. But then he gets a phone call which forces all thoughts of old Sarah out of his head. It's new Sarah informing him that while they were out skating and pre-negotiating their breakup, Wildebeest broke into her place of employment and swiped their mother mayhem. Vic leaps into action and starts mobilizing the other Titans to meet him at the scene of the crime so they can begin their investigation. When she gets Vic's call, Wonder Girl is photographing some models at a car show. She tells the models to go home and try not to do too many drugs on the way there. Please, Donna, stop being so judgmental. It's not like you never made a mistake. In fact, Speaking of Donna's mistakes, Terry Long is hanging out at the zoo with Dick Grayson and whining about the fact that he's been bored ever since he got fired from his teaching job for being so unproductive that it would have been illegal for his boss not to fire him. I mean, seems like he could still not write papers in his spare time, but I guess it is more exciting to not write them professionally. Luckily for Dick, his Titan signal starts going off before he's had to listen to too much of Terry's whining. Danny Chase is in class absentmindedly drawing a photorealistic sketch of a classmate he has a crush on. The Cousin Oliver-esque crime fighter is jolted from his reverie when his Titan signal starts buzzing. 
His teacher hears the alert and starts making fun of Danny for being a fuck-up who is doing bad at school. All the other kids start laughing at him. This pisses Danny off, and he needs a distraction, so he uses his telekinesis to steal a big box of spiders from a nearby classroom, which I guess was studying Halloween or something? He dumps the spiders all over the students, and in the ensuing chaos, sneaks out of the school. Jericho is hanging out with Vic's ex-not-actually-girlfriend Sarah Sims when his beeper starts going off. Turns out Joey's been volunteering in Sarah's classroom and helping teach sign language to children with disabilities. Before dashing off to Star Labs, Joe asks Sarah if she wants to go out on a date with him. Sarah's surprised and says she'd like a little more time to think it over, seeing as she's just gotten out of a relationship. But she seems kinda into the idea. A little while later at Star Labs, the gang investigates the crime scene. They wonder aloud why Wildebeest might want to kidnap Mother Mayhem, and Dr. Vincent Ellis, who had been treating the pregnant priestess, puts down his cigarette long enough to speculate, Oh, I don't know, there's all kinds of reasons, I suppose. That child she's carrying around is probably magic or something. Plus, even if he isn't, he stands to inherit his father's fortune. Also, the remaining followers of the Church of Blood reckon this child's going to be some kind of god and probably pay a pretty penny to get their hands on him. Yes, sir, kidnapping that lady seems like a pretty darn clever idea to me. I'd say this wildebeest fellow is some kind of a genius. Probably a handsome genius at that. Ah, but what do I know? I'm just a kindly old chain-smoking doctor that a high-tech laboratory hired to help them run experiments on a pregnant prisoner. Uh, peppermint candy, anyone? The Titans take a few minutes to ponder these words of wisdom from the totally unsuspicious doctor before heading home. The next morning, in a secluded mansion in upstate New York, a creepy jerk begins his day by having a small army of robotic marionettes make him some oatmeal. The jerk in question is the puppeteer, an evil douche who makes robotic murder puppets. Suddenly, Wildebeest Kool-Aid mans his way through the skylight, smashes a bunch of murder puppets, and grabs Puppeteer by the throat with one hoof-like mitten. Wildebeest is like, You're a creepy jerk. I like that. I got a job for you and your puppets. Pays well, plus there's a signing bonus of me not crushing your windpipe. Puppeteer takes the deal. Later that afternoon, a small army of robotic puppets invades Rikers Island and starts killing guards and freeing prisoners. You guys, I think this might have something to do with that job Wildebeest was just talking about. Back at the Titan Tower, Danny Chase is whining about the fact that there isn't a giant subway poster of him up in the living room. To be fair, there are posters of the other Titans hanging on the wall, but frankly, I kind of get the impression that Danny gets upset whenever he walks into a room that doesn't have a giant poster of him. Beast Boy tells Danny that he's being a jerk, which just goes to show that Beast Boy, like a broken watch, is occasionally correct and also should be thrown in the trash. Nightwing comes in and tells the two youngest titans to knock it off. The phone rings, and when the adolescent admonishing acrobat answers it, he's informed of the jailbreak in progress. The gang hops into their jet and zooms over to Rikers Island to get their thwart on. When they arrive, they find that Wildebeest, Puppeteer, and Boyle are in the process of loading up their helicopter with a batch of factory irregular supervillains. The individuals on Wildebeest's convict shopping list were 
Gizmo, the small-statured mechanical whiz from the Fearsome Five, Michael Belden, the dipshit daddy's boy, also known as Disruptor, and one of the three crooks who used to wear a star-shaped mask, wield a high-tech pitchfork, and call themselves Trident. Wow. What a team. I mean, Gizmo's pretty competent, I'll give you that. But the rest of these guys? Couldn't beat a pie in a foot race. And a pie doesn't even have feet. At least not unless someone really fucked up the recipe. Ugh. Anyway, the point is, they suck. The Titans try to stop the helicopter from taking off, but they're too late. Starfire flies after the fleeing chopper, hoping that if she whacks it hard enough, that all the criminal turds will fall out of it like it was the world's worst piñata. But Wildebeest has prepared for this contingency. He has Puppeteer fire a whole bunch of missiles at random civilian targets. While the Titans are chasing down these diversionary projectiles, Boyle deploys a smokescreen filled with flecks of metal, which not only obscures the Titans' vision, but also fucks with the radar on the T-Jet. Then, when the helicopter is totally hidden, Wildebeest pushes a button which transforms the vehicle into a submarine, and the quintet of crooks makes their escape underwater. Okay, that was actually pretty cool. The Titans are totally flummoxed and head back to their T-shaped skyscraper to figure out what to do next. The gang starts to fill Danny in on exactly who these Washington generals of crime that Wildebeest busted out of prison are, but the C-minus scrappy-doo of a Titan cuts them off and is like, Um, actually, I read all the crime files in the world back when I was a spy, plus I have a photographic memory. Of course you do, Chachi. Of course you do. Nightwing goes into leadership mode and tells the team to split up into groups. Joey and Raven head downtown to the police station to find out if the cops have any leads. Vic, Beast Boy, and Danny go back to Star Labs to see if they missed any clues, and Wonder Girl, Starfire, and Dick are going to do some undercover work. Really? You're gonna have the seven-foot-tall, bright-orange supermodel who we learned last issue doesn't even have a secret identity anymore go undercover? As what? The Flyers won't introduce Gritty as their mascot for another 30 years, so what are you going to do, dress her up as a Howard Johnson's roof? Meanwhile, back at Wildebeest's secret headquarters, the GNU crew, just because he doesn't have the foresight to name them that doesn't mean I can't, is chatting about their new boss. Gizmo remains spectacle about the horn-headed head honcho, but Disruptor, Puppeteer, and the guy who used to be one-third of Trident are all pretty impressed with the guy. What a bunch of chumps. Wildebeest assesses his new underlings and thinks to himself, What a bunch of chumps. Told ya. He plans on using the GNU crew as a distraction, but the only person he busted out of jail he actually cares about is Mother Mayhem. He heads over to the room where he's got her stashed and is like, Hey, wanna help me do some evil crime stuff? Mother Mayhem is like, Not really. Why should I help you? Wildebeest is like, Because we're such good pals. Mayhem is like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've never even met you before. Wildebeest is like, yeah, huh? Then he takes off his mask and reveals that he is... The other trident guy! Nah, just kidding. He's Dr. Ellis, the obstetrician from Star Labs who kept speculating about the myriad uses a criminal might have for Mayhem's unborn child. To be continued. Since that one guy is just one-third of Trident, maybe I should start calling him just 
den. Ooh, or Tyne. Hey, I wonder if that's how Tyne Daly from Cagney and Lacey got her name. Probably. And joining us for the first time in over 15 months live and in person is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. It is nice to be here in person in the same room talking about uh, comics and stuff. I know. It's blowing my mind. First of all, yeah, great to see you in person. I think we've both changed a lot over the last year or so. Um, I have a mustache now. Mm -hmm. I noticed that you have cybernetic arms. Oh, I thought they looked normal. Oh, no, no, they're very, very good. I think I probably wouldn't have noticed them quite so soon if I hadn't been trying to not stare at your cat-in-the-hat raver hat that you're wearing now. Oh, no. <laughs> so, did you just get really into rave culture during this last year? And then you couldn't go to raves in person, obviously, because you were being responsible. And so... You built some robot friends to rave with, mm -hmm. and then one of them went haywire and tore your arms off? Um, have you ever been to a rave? I have. Yeah? Yeah. Pretty awesome. Ah, <laughs> uh, my personal experience <laughs> with it didn't end super great. I believe that was the night that I woke up the next day in a hospital and uh, had a nurse calling me Bert because I'd had the realization that everyone's either an Ernie or a Bert. And so as I was being put in an ambulance, I was informing the nurse, I'm a Bert, I'm a Bert. So I was uh, shook awake with a IV tube in my arm being asked, are you okay, Bert? Oh my. Yeah. So I have been to a rave. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where this was coming from. <laughs> I mean, that's how they go, right? Have you ever been to a rave? I think I went to one once that was supposed to be one, but from what I had seen in the media, those are crowded affairs. Mm. And this, there was like a DJ and it was kind of dark and I don't know, there was like 12 people. Some of them had glow sticks. Gotcha. And so I was it's... like, I don't like this music. <laughs> I can't see anything. It's loud. I'm leaving. I think that is a wise decision. Thank you. So it was more of a situation where it was, I want to have a rave. We can throw it out in the old barn. I think I've got a $40 gift certificate to Hot Topic. I don't even know. I was with some friends and they're like, hey, there's supposed to be this rave thing. You want to check it out? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I like drugs. <laughs> yeah, drugs are fun. It was downtown Portland, maybe somewhere in the industrial area before it was the Pearl District. Oh, right. It seemed super sketchy, like, going up the stairs. I think it was not a sanctioned event. Mm, gotcha. So, first I was like, hey, this could be pretty good. <laughs> nope. Mm. Well, raves aside, you being in person, as special as that is, is not the only reason why this podcast is different from all other podcasts we have recorded. I mean, obviously, on a normal podcast, we would not dip our vegetables even once, and tonight we dip them twice. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> ah, it's a bad Passover joke. Sorry. It's a Seder thing. Oh, is it? Is that Why a... is this night different than all other nights? Oh. But the reason this podcast is actually different than any other one we've recorded before is that normally... We just do... do them once. <laughs> yes. And this one, we are dipping twice. <laughs> we tried to record this show last night, and it went longer than they normally do. And then there was a mix-up with the audio, and nothing. 
So we're going to give it another shot. Uh, we're not going to try to recreate the podcast that we made last night, but... Uh, but you guys, it was awesome. Oh my god, the special effects. Wow. The guest stars. I mean, we had the ghost of FDR show up. And that was not an easy thing. No, no. And his agent said there was no way we could get him back for this one. So sorry you guys missed out on that. But we're going to do our best. One other potential reason why this podcast might be different from all others is our neighbors have, knock on wood, hopefully rented a bouncy castle. Because there is one in their backyard. And Finley has thus far, I don't believe, noticed that. We will see if that trend continues. Oh my. Yeah, could be a whole thing. Mm. All that being said, do you want to talk about this comic book? Let's do it. Again? <laughs> yep. All right. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Well, for a comic in which there are so many moving parts and things put together and information and beginnings of story arcs and all that stuff uh it was enjoyable yeah i agree i would probably describe it and i think i might have last night as having a lot of details and not a lot of plot mm -hmm. but that was fine i kind of prefer that honestly one of the things that it certainly had a lot of is familiar faces showing up again mm -hmm. or maybe i should say somewhat familiar faces or faces that i feel like are supposed to be familiar we have a lot of returning guests. On the good guy side, we've got Thunder and Lightning, mm -hmm. who are, I believe, half Vietnamese, half aliens. Does that sound right? Uh, that's at least half right. Okay. But they're brothers. One of them has lightning powers. The other one has thunder powers, which it seems like should just be being real loud and following his brother around, mm -hmm. which I guess is kind of what he does in this issue. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see them again. I don't have a lot of strong feelings about them. How about you? Uh, they're fine. I was more so concerned with whoever is in charge of security at Star Labs. It's like, I'm going to hire guys whose power is to blow shit up to <laughs> stay inside my expensive laboratory and blow shit up if people come in. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a great idea. I don't know. I feel like bar owners sometimes are like, oh, I should hire an MMA fighter to be my door guy. Yeah, that's going to go great. Yeah, it's, you want somebody who, yes, can take care of themselves, but maybe in a more defensive capability than an offensive capability. Mm -hmm. If I give these guys flamethrowers, nobody's going <laughs> to cause a ruckus. Good thinking, mm -hmm. Star Labs. But Thunder and Lightning are not the only blasts from the past that we get in this. We also have, well, first of all, Wildebeest shows back up. Mm -hmm. He kidnaps Mother Mayhem. So that's two supervillains that we get. Although... In this Mother Mayhem, it's like she's not a villain anymore. Yeah, I, do you remember why she was at Star Labs to have her baby? Um, I think she had been turned over to the authorities in general, and Star Labs is kind of a quasi-government agency, so they were just like, oh, we'll, we'll take care of this, we've got better security, and you need a medical facility. That would be my guess. I don't remember for sure, but that seems plausible. Probably like, oh yeah, we'll totally help. I mean, experiment, I mean, help on this lady. Yeah, I think it is probably something like that. But it is odd to see Mother Mayhem be treated more as a victim than a Machiavellian schemer bent on world domination. 
And it is like a light switch type difference in her portrayal. And it's not just that she is now pregnant, because in her previous more villainous appearances, where she is both double-crossing Brother Blood and trying to kill the Teen Titans, she was still very much pregnant then. So it's just a weird, like, flip of the switch. Now she is almost a non-character and a plot point and is being cast as a victim in a way that I wasn't crazy about. Yeah, the light switch thing is jarring. Also, ostensibly, Dick is now in the role of being her rescuer, which seems super weird. It seems weird that it wouldn't seem weird to him, like that he doesn't mention it at all, and everybody is just like, oh, we have to rescue Mother Mayhem. I would think at least one of them would be like, maybe Raven would just be like, do we though? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I wish they were treating it more like they were trying to capture her because she was supposed to be in jail rather than rescue her. Because she's not in that different a position than, say, Puppeteer, who also was kidnapped by Wildebeest and now you're joining my evil gang. Mm -hmm. But for Mother Mayhem, it's we need to rescue her. For everyone else, it's we need to throw them back in jail. Yeah, I'm curious to see where they go with the whole brother blood baby thing. Like, there is an interesting opportunity to explore you know nature versus nurture like if your dad inherited his licking blood off things (laughs) evil powers like does that pass to the kid or is you you educate the child and you know yeah nice to them are they not gonna lick blood off things i don't know no is he naughty by nurture exactly (laughs) you will have to find this out and hopefully they will explore that. I really don't know what their plans are and they are i think purposefully being obfuscated so we'll see where they go with it As I mentioned, Wildebeest is putting together a supervillain team of, you know, they're not B-listers, they're not C-listers, they're not D-listers. There frankly aren't enough letters in our alphabet to describe the list that they would be on, because I think they are farther than 25 removed from the A-list. But they are some pretty low-tier supervillains that Wildebeest decided to recruit. How many of them did you remember? Well, uh, Gizmo is the most obvious. We we know him from mm-hmm. our good times with the Furious Five. No, not the Furious Five. That's Grandmaster that... Flash. Yeah, <laughs> crew. I mean, maybe the Gizmo hung out with five. them too. Oh, I <laughs> but he wasn't so. a member, certainly. I will build you turntables that do not fall down. They might wobble, <laughs> but they won't fall down. Well, he built those for Jam Master J. I know that's <laughs> the closest I could. Um, so yeah, Gizmo, and then. I want to call him Starfish Man. Trident. Trident. How much do you remember about Trident? So, part of a crew that did ocean stuff that was bad. Okay, they didn't actually do ocean stuff except for one of them died there. Well, that's that's a... It's certainly a significant activity. He was more of a passive participant in that. (laughs) He was more killed and thrown off a pier. You'd have to stretch the bounds of marine biology pretty far to consider that ocean stuff. Being killed and dumped in an ocean. Okay, that's fair. Um, but wasn't there a... Was it Aqualad asking fish about the whereabouts of these guys or something? Yeah, that was the leap that the Titans made. They found a corpse that had been obviously thrown off of a pier. And I guess you are in the same Team Titans boat that they were like, yeah, it seems like ocean stuff. Let's see if Aqualad knows anything mm-hmm. about this crime. And he's like, no, fish didn't see this guy get murdered and thrown off a pier. And so then he helped them actually solve the crime. Turned out 
there were three dudes dressed up the same way. Two of them double-crossed the one guy because he was going to double-cross them. And so for Wildebeest's team, he has decided to free one of those guys from jail. There are two remaining members of Team Trident, and he decided to bust out the one who has the least backstory. The guy who got murdered was named Sammy J. He worked for Hive and was smuggling weapons. Mm -hmm. There was another guy that was part of the force named Prof, who was a weapons developer, who I believe had a cough. And there was the third member of the Trident team, who is only identified as unnamed black man. Hmm. And that is who Wildebeest busts out of prison in this. And in this, his second and arguably more prominent role, he still does not get a name. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll just call him Trident. I guess he's the only one who's Trident now. Okay. So that's one guy. Two guys, Gizmo and Trident. Right? Uh-huh. Daddy Issues guy, who I don't remember, but I guess we did read about him in the past. Yes, he was Disruptor. Disruptor. Because I guess he was like a Silicon Valley guy, maybe. <laughs> I don't think he was a Silicon Valley guy, but he does seem like enough of a douchebag that he might describe himself as not just the Disruptor, but a Disruptor. Mm-hmm. Basically, he is a supervillain who was brought up in contrast to Kid Flash, who has a good relationship with his parents. Disruptor has a, I think it's fair to say, pretty shitty relationship with his dad, who was a supervillain called brains belden who wanted his kid to be a supervillain, and the kid sucked at it mm. that's the third member that wildebeest decided to recruit for his crew we also meet or i met i think you had met before the puppeteer yeah puppeteer first showed up and i think it was issue nine of the first new teen titans series so quite a while ago uh, we had a guest co-host filling in for you that time mm-hmm. but yeah puppeteer pretty much what it says on the box he makes puppets and as you would expect those puppets murder people because you know they look like marionettes i won't say all puppets are creepy i'm a big muppet fan oh yeah i mean if he was the muppeteer that would be rad i would be like you don't even need to do crimes people will just give you the money Mm -hmm. yeah have them sing a song drive a bus ah good times yeah so and by puppets in this case though we also mean small robots yeah they look like puppets but they are very much robots they are puppets i guess in the sense that he controls them but i wouldn't consider necessarily a remote control robot a puppet that's a bit of a stretch yeah you can't wear them on your hand no or use a like marionette Mm -hmm. stick what do you call those i think a marionette stick is the technical term yeah probably but anyway puppeteer obviously low grade villain but a real creepy fuck who in his first appearance had puppets murder people's grandparents to extort money i think from a company and try to steal he might have been trying to steal prometheum that might have been around when prometheum turned up the first time either way he's a real piece of shit fuck Mm. this guy there is one more member of the crew boyle a guy who can drive a helicopter yeah he gets a name tag on his helmet Mm mm-hmm you would think he would maybe try to have a cool code name, like, you know, Maverick and Top Gun. Mm-hmm. But no, he's just Boyle. Yeah, he's a real Danny Chase. <laughs> yeah, he is. Eschewing the secret identity route because he thinks he's too cool for school. Yeah. Ugh. Jerk. Yeah. Not Boyle. I mean, he's probably a jerk, too. He's certainly working with some bad people. But I'm kind of kindly disposed towards Boyle. 
And I like to think that he refers to himself in the third person, too. I'm sure he does. Yeah, we just touched on A, Danny Chase, and two, thinking you're too cool for school. And Danny Chase literally thinks he is too cool for school. In his early appearances, you had been, I think, better at keeping an open mind about Danny Chase than I had. Mm -hmm. You tried very hard to give him the benefit of the doubt, which I really respect. I also tried. I just failed immediately. How is your relationship with Danny Chase progressing, Corey? I don't like him at all now. (laughs) No, fuck that kid. Oh my gosh. First he ate that weird sandwich. Yep, that was the beginning of the end. (laughs) (laughs) He's just such a shit in this book. He is a real shit in this book. He whines about not getting his own subway poster in the Titan Tower, Mm -hmm. which I feel like you got to choose a lane, buddy. If you don't want to be a superhero, then you don't get a superhero poster, especially if you're not going to have a secret identity and you're also not going to go public as a member of the team then I think if people visited the Titans Tower, they would be like, why do you guys have a subway poster of a random 12-year-old? Because I know he's 14, but he looks 12. Mm-hmm. Up in your tower, that seems kind of weird. Yep. That's frankly a little creepy. Yep. So, sorry, Danny. You don't get to get pissed about that if you're going to take the hard stance that superhero code names and costumes are dumb which he says to the entire team moments before his diatribe about why don't i have a poster yeah ah i would say you know what else you don't have danny tact tact or any dinner tonight oh that's right you go to your room without supper oh man yeah no salami cookie sandwiches <laughs> for you <kid>. exactly <laughs> Yeah, you you look like Oliver from the Brady Bunch, and you fill his role on this team. But uh, you keep that up, you're going to be a different Oliver. You're going to be asking, can I have some more yep. rules, sir? Mm-hmm. And I the mean, answer will be, no. No. Yeah, I won't even sing a song about it. I'll just be like, you can't have any more. Go to your room, Danny. <laughs> yeah. Oliver. I mean, I won't give him the full Oliver treatment. I'm not going to kill his parents. Well... They're probably pretty hard to get to. They're secret agents and whatnot. Yeah, it's not just for logistical reasons. It's also a matter of escalation. I mean, I don't want him to be a little shit, but I'm not going to murder anybody's parents over that. That's not going to stop him from being a little shit. That's just going to make him a bigger shit. Yeah, look at Batman. Mm -hmm. The other thing that bothered me about Danny in this issue is they are really leaning into overpowering him in a way that I found really frustrating and also just implausible and takes me out of the comic book a little bit the new power that he has revealed in this issue is that in addition to being a international super spy and the world's most powerful telekinetic guy Mm -hmm. he also has a photographic memory Mm -hmm. and has memorized the crime files on everyone in the world and he's also a talented artist and fuck it why not just make him a ninja too you know A thing that did take me out of the comic book also related to that was we learn that he's a terrible student. He's failing his classes. And if you helping me study for art history (laughs) and like you don't necessarily have a photographic memory, but you have very good memory. I have a photogenic memory. If you take a picture of my memory, it looks stunning. Anyway, you absorbed and were able to 
repeat all the stuff on these flashcards that took me a lot more effort. And so if Danny Chase has a photographic memory, ostensibly, he would be doing fine in school. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe it's an attendance is weighted or something like that, but at least his test scores would still be great. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that impression. It is kind of implausible. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's getting yelled at by the teacher and then the kids laugh at him and he doesn't like that. So he uses his telekinetic powers to uh, reach into the room next door and uh, dump a giant box of spiders on everybody. Right. And okay, on the one hand, it's kind of funny. I can't say I necessarily wouldn't do that when I was in middle school or something. But it's really unfair to the spiders. Like I'm not generally a huge insect fan. Spiders aren't technically insects, are they? I know they're arachnids. Is that a kind of insect or is that a not an insect? I want to say they're a kind of insect. Okay. Well, either way, I like them better than I like most insects. And I go out of my way to not kill spiders. And I think if you put spiders in that position, they are going to all get killed. And so, fuck Danny Chase. Yeah. Mass uh, spider slaughter. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, though, why did that classroom have a giant box of spiders? That's not a biology thing. It's not one that I'm familiar with. Yeah, how do box of spiders fit into the curriculum? I don't know. Maybe he was taking attending a special prank school. Mm, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Still, boo. Boo, indeed. One of the other major developments that happens in this book is... The idea that Jericho is now trying to form a relationship, a romantic relationship, with Sarah Sims, Cyborg's almost ex. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were never actually dating, but they thought they were at first, and we were led to believe that they were. Yeah, it was a whole won't they, won't they thing for a while. Right. Yeah, what do you think is going on with Jericho here? So last night we had talked about this a little bit, this idea. Um, you were wondering if maybe they were trying to take an angle or or, or explore this idea of like Jer- Jericho becoming a, a player. Yeah, it, it seems like it's headed that direction just because it's been so rapid fire. In the very last issue, we saw him being like, hey, I've got a crush on Coriander. I should try to start a relationship with her. The issue before that, we met his girlfriend, Tish for Mm -hmm. the first time. She seemed nice. Mm -hmm. And then before that, they walked up to and then back the idea of him having a relationship with Cole. Mm -hmm. And before that, it seemed like he was maybe going to start dating Raven. They were leading into that angle and then abandoning it. They keep walking right up to giving him a relationship and then walking it back. And the fact that the last three have been so rapid fire, it seems more intentional than... What I think was happening before, which was initially we are going to make this character gay and now we want to go out of our way to prove that he isn't gay. Mm -hmm. It still very much could just be that. Just trying to get some kind of heterosexual pasta to stick to the wall of Jericho. Oh, walls of Jericho. (laughs) But I don't know that that's necessarily what is happening and... I'm still hoping that they're going somewhere interesting with this. Like, maybe something is off with Jericho. Maybe it's related to his powers, where it's like, oh, when I live inside of other people for a few seconds, I get their crushes? I don't know. Oh my god, that would be the worst. Yeah. That's got to wreak havoc with a guy's 
brain. Oh, yeah. And heart. Yeah. And boner. All of it. <laughs> All of it. Yeah, I don't think that's probably what's happening, but I also hope that they take this in an interesting direction because there is potential to do so. Yeah. I'm holding out hope that it is not just them trying to overcompensate for initially having planned Jericho to be gay and then changing their minds. Or also just trying to set up some kind of triangle to create drama, like Cyborg being like, which we haven't talked about yet, super bummed out. Yeah. Things aren't going to work out with Dr. Charles. And then Joey's like, oh, by the way, (laughs) I'm dating your almost sort of girlfriend from the past. And Cyborg's just being like, man. Or having him be like, hey, Nightwing, you know how you just got out of a love triangle with Raven? Well, now you're in one with me because I like Starfire. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess we will have to see how that plays out. You mentioned Cyborg and how he's bummed out that just things between him and Sarah's don't seem to work out. Mm -hmm. It's a really well-done opening sequence in some ways. That is, Cyborg and Sarah Charles, his girlfriend. I think she is actually his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. or at least was. Mm -hmm. It's unclear whether they actually break up. But of them skating in the park, and Cyborg has a big discussion of, hey, I just wanted to say everything's going great, and I'm happy all the time right now, and let's never ever break up, okay? Hey, you're being kind of quiet. What's up? Yeah. Yeah, the whole time he's giving that speech, I definitely was just like, oh no, this is not going to go well. He's giving four pages of dialogue about how nice it is that it's not raining, Mm -hmm. you know? And it does end the way you would predict. What was really weird about that, though, is that it was juxtaposed, like split page. First half of the page is that conversation. Right side of the page is Wildebeest breaking into Star Labs. And that goes on for, I think, about four pages, four or five pages. It seemed like we were supposed to read something into that juxtaposition. And I don't think there was anything there. It just seemed like a random choice. You've had a little more time to think about it. Were you able to find anything that might be a corollary between the two? No. No, I I read it several times with the same idea because it was a little challenging for the eye to follow what should be the flow because essentially you're reading in parallel two completely different series of events. And I think the only reason they did that was to show perhaps that these things were occurring concurrently in different places. Mm -hmm. And to, you know, try and mess around a little bit with the format. Like, hey, here's this cool, like, thing we can try. And it, in my opinion, fell flat a little bit because it was just hard to read it in that uh, column, columny, is there, how do you say that word? Column, columny, columny, colmini. Nope, he was the guy who played uh, Chief (laughs) O'Brien. It's hard to read him in that Chief O'Brien context. It is. Yeah, he just wants to be kayaking on the holodeck, not being on a page in a comic book don't we all Mm. yeah i was trying to figure out if maybe i know sarah charles works at star labs and so you see him breaking in there if they were trying to make some connection to that if we were supposed to think that she was in danger but she couldn't be in danger because it seemed like it was happening at the same time as she was there not necessarily dumping but not not dumping cyborg Mm -hmm. good for her man like to get that promotion to the absolute head of star labs san francisco division wasn't she a physical therapist yes it seems like a non-choice frankly on star labs part but good for her wow 
her character has changed so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, not all for the better. I mean, she's got a big promotion coming up, so good for her. I miss the Sarah Charles we were initially introduced to, who was kind of a no-nonsense, tough-as-nails, constantly giving Vic a hard time as part of her flirting style. That seems to have disappeared as soon as they started actually dating. So it would be nice if she showed a little bit more of that character, as opposed to just being generic good girlfriend, Mm -hmm. which is mostly how she's been drawn in the past few issues. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of how people are drawn, what do you think of the art in this issue? Oh, man. Really good. We talked last night about the fact that there's a new inker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a guy named Kim DeMolder does the inks in this instead of Romeo Tangal. I think this is just a fill-in issue, but he does a really nice job. He has a different, I think, sense of texture mm-hmm. than Romeo Tangal does. There's a little more shading, a little more cross-hatching, which doesn't always mean better. But in this case, I think it brings something different, but that isn't too out of character. If I didn't know that it was a different Dinker, I don't think it would have stood out. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually makes sense if you look at Kim DeMolder's career. He has worked a lot, primarily as an Inker, at both DC and Marvel, and has worked on series from Super Friends to Hellblazer. So I think you probably get used to working with a bunch of different styles of penciler, and I think has a more chameleon-like inking style than you sometimes see with people who are more dedicated to a single style of drawing. Yeah, it wasn't very jarring. Like, actually, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't read the credits. Mm-hmm. But he does a good job. Good job. Yeah, I like the art in this. Me too. The layouts are interesting, too. I mean, despite the falling down on the cold mini <laughs> panels. Yeah, agreed. Speaking of art, there is some interesting artwork that we see on the walls of some of these characters oh boy okay yeah sarah sims first of all has in her classroom a couple of different posters up we saw that a couple issues ago victor stole her busy town wall art Mm -hmm. so she needed to replace it and the direction that she went was a kind of not quite psychedelic but also not not psychedelic poster of a character i'm gonna call rich uncle ladybug Mm -hmm. it's a ladybug with a top hat and a cane and a bow tie who is strutting around outside of a mushroom Mm -hmm. with a happy psychedelic sunshine with rays Mm -hmm. going everywhere in the background yeah you must have thought you were back at that rave because he's got a hat much like your dr seuss hat that you're definitely wearing (laughs) the one i'm ostensibly wearing at present the other poster that sarah sims has up I think looks like MC Scat Cat Mm. from the Opposites Attract video. Yes, and you did correct me last night when we talked about this because I thought it was uh, from the other Paula Abdul song that I know of. Which is? Is it called Straight Up? Is that the name of the song? Oh, they're Straight Up? I was thinking of Cold Hearted Snake. I couldn't remember which one you Uh, thought it was. No, Straight Up. Yeah, because MC Scat Cat is no Cold Hearted Snake. That poster is creepy as fuck, though. It is, a, it is a creepy poster. It is, I don't think, supposed to be MC Scat Cat. It just looks kind of like him. I don't me. even know what kind of animal that is, but his I'm eyes I'm pretty are sure it's a cat. I thought it was a dog. Like a terrier? You know, I could see it going either way. The whiskers are more cat-like to me. I'm still saying kind of MC Scat Cat. Was it a chipmunk? I don't know. Either way, I think Paul Abdul would be attracted to it because they are opposites. 
I mean, whatever that is, it's the opposite of Paula Abdul. Okay. It's not a pretty lady and a talented choreographer. Uh-huh. So, uh, I think that that poster and Paula Abdul will be very happy together. Okay. The other piece of wall art which had us completely flummoxed is a couple of pages earlier in Cyborg's room. He has a poster on his wall. I think it's supposed to be an Atari Force character. It looks like a, what was it we decided, a thick-thighed Russian grandmother taking a shit. Uh-huh, yep. Like, very thick-thighed. Like, more than R. Crumb. Oh, yeah. R. Crumb Plus, for sure. Yeah, it also, after thinking about it a little more, it reminded me, too, of, I think the Atari Force thing is right, but it also reminded me of some of the Ziggy characters, the way that they're drawn with, like, really big limbs. Am I remembering that right? It's been a while since I've read Ziggy. It's possible. I'll have to brush up on my Ziggy and get back to you. I might be wrong. His whole thing was that he is sad and wants love. I can't remember. And he has a fish or a bird. And I guess like maybe like Ziggy's thick. (laughs) So according to your memory. (laughs) Weird poster choice. It, It is a weird poster choice. Let us know online what your thoughts are on that poster choice. Use the hashtag Ziggy Thick <laughs> with two C's. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, they, I, I, they know you, that. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm acting like our listeners don't know <laughs> Ziggy Thick. When Wildebeest and his bad guy cronies are busting the other bad guys out of prison, mm-hmm. there is a really creepy scene where there is an invasion of puppet robots and... I sympathized, I think, more than with any other character in this book with this prison guard who gets killed by evil puppet robots. Mm -hmm. And what he says as he is, I believe, dying, maybe it is a non-fatal injury. He is at least passing out. But his last words are, oh, for pity's sake. It's like transported straight from a Mayberry or bad (laughs) subtitles or yeah, it it could be Mayberry. It could be last night you were you were comparing it to Fists of the North Star. So that was the dialogue between Thunder and Lightning. Oh, right. I was confused. Which reminded us of this guy, which reminded you of your favorite line from we can't remember which movie. Yeah, but it was a badly dubbed line as somebody's kung fu trainer is dying. Their final words are, "I am damn disappointed to be dying in this way." Mm-hmm. And That is, I think, paraphrasing the, oh, for pity's sake, as you are killed by robot puppets. Given some of my decision-making ability, there is a not 0% chance that my final words will be something along the lines of, I am damn disappointed to be dying in this way. Or at least, fucking seriously. Mm. I think that would make actually a pretty fitting epitaph. Seriously? Fucking seriously? (laughs) You can swear on headstones, right? You will not know. Oh, that's true. I think there's probably a cemetery by cemetery rule of conduct on that. I mean, you can order one. Right. You think people ever do that? <laughs> They're like, oh. Yeah, give it no, a shot. No, the family pays for it, I ostensibly. Right? People can get their own headstones in advance, though. Man, that is macabre shit. But a little less macabre if it says, I was damn disappointed to die in this way. That would be good. Or, he was damn disappointed to die in this way. Mm-hmm. I think that would be better. Yeah, it would. It's, like, less ghosty.
There are some pretty fun sound effects in this issue. I know that's not a category that we cover for the Teen Titans anymore, Mm -hmm. but there were some that I want to call out because they were pretty good. Mm -hmm. Did you have a favorite of them? I think my runner-up is the noise that it makes when one of Wildebeest's pointy things explodes, and that's the noise. Poof. Poof. Yeah. Yeah. It's like puff, but with an accent. Mm-hmm. Puff. Yeah. But I think my favorite was Sklamu. Sklamu is, I think, my favorite as well. Yeah, I think maybe because uh, you've got a main villain who is an ungulate, they want to play up the moo angle with the sound effects. Mm-hmm. Because we also did have a Bwamu. B-A-W-H-M-O-O-O-O. Bamu. Bamu. Yeah, that's good. I don't know if wildebeests are moors. They probably make a lowing sound of some sort. That's well, this guy, this guy's a moor and a shaker. Uh, sorry, that was very bad. Yep. I'm sorry that you have to look at me while I make these puns now. <laughs> it's okay. You can see me shaking my head and crossing my arms. <laughs> I could see that in my mind when I made those puns before. Well, that's good. We see that. Wildebeest goes undercover as an obstetrician at Star Labs, Mm -hmm. which is A, very impressive that he is able to do that. Like, he is clearly a catch-me-if-you-can, chameleon street level jack-of-all-trades, apparently, if he can be like, I'll go undercover as the CEO of a multi-billion dollar business, Mm -hmm. and I'll go undercover as a obstetrician for a high-tech research lab creepy-ass job, man. Yeah, that is a very creepy job. The fact that they have an obstetrician on staff, maybe it's a consult job. Like, maybe he was a independent contractor who was hired by Star Labs for this one thing. I like to think that. Mm-hmm. That they're not full-time experimenting on pregnant ladies, but we got this mother mayhem, and, you know... You know, yeah, I gotta strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. But he apparently is very good at impersonating a doctor, But in the final panel, it seems like maybe one of the things he might have wanted to brush up on is where in a pregnant lady the baby is, because it seems like he's supposed to be like patting her stomach as he has the frankly horrifying reveal that he has been her obstetrician this whole time. He says, what woman has not confessed all to her doctor, the man who will deliver her child. And then he goes to, I think he's supposed to pat her on the stomach. But it looks like he is honking her breast with his weird mitten hand. Honking. I didn't see that until you pointed it out. But after hearing that and then seeing the expression that they've drawn on Mother Mayhem's face. Yeah. It seems possible. It's a bad doctor on so many fronts. First of all, I don't think in your doctor. What? Not a doctor. Oh, that's 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 right. That's where you start would be in bed. Okay. You're right. Probably the main reason he is a terrible doctor is that he is not a doctor. Fake. But also, he should know as a doctor impersonator, a doctor should never make the noise. Honk, honk. It's just inappropriate in any situation. Well, there's more stuff to talk about, but uh, you ready to move on to the minutiae, Corey? Let's move on. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Oh, hey, uh, since Rick is in the comic book room with us again, Rick, I've been wondering, 
What are your favorite three numbers? One, two, three. Good to know. Well, away you go again. Bye, Rick. Bye. Well, Corey, what do you uh, feel like starting off with this time? Well, I feel like I always start us with clothing, so let's start with artwork. Highly unorthodox. Mm. What was your favorite panel? We talked about it a little bit already, but the opening panel on page one where Dr. Sarah, Charles, and Cyborg are ice skating in the park, it's a very cool panel. It takes up the whole page. Uh, There's tons of depth in the background. It's at kind of a weird angle. You can see that it's snowing. There's a lot of movement. It's interesting. It's well done. It's a cool panel, and it's... I mean, it is an action shot, but it's an action shot of civilian stuff. Mm -hmm. And I like it. I I agree. I think that one's very well done. I had a a few to choose from. There was a close-up of the puppeteer's face, which is really well done. Uh, There's just a ton of detail on it, and it's pretty cool looking. I think that is on page 16. He looks very anguished as Wildebeest is holding him by the neck with his mitten hand. He's really getting throttled. So yeah, I like that pen a lot. I think that's really well done. Uh, you can really see the anguish on his face. And he's got that Janet Jackson style headset, which is always a nice touch. But he's got no control. <laughs> yeah, I'll put, I'll put it in. Okay. So that's one. There's a really nice panel of Wildebeest busting through what look like the paper hoop walls of Star Labs. It looks kind of like the cover to the first giant size X-Men where they're tearing through the comic and being like, here we come mm-hmm. out of the comics and into your life. Yep. It looks like he's trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Except for he's, you know, trying to kidnap a pregnant supervillain. Mm-hmm. But it's really nicely drawn. I think my favorite probably though is a panel a few pages after that where it's just a close up of some antelopes because... Terry Long and Nightwing are at the zoo. It's where you have to go when a Terry Long wants to talk to you. <laughs> That's That was what I think we came up with. Yeah. If you have to hang out with Terry Long, you may as well get to look at an antelope. Mm-hmm. You got to give yourself a little treat for that. Or a giraffe or uh, any other ruminant animal. Now you can see other animals than ruminants. What did we decide a ruminant was? A thoughtful animal? It's a, it's it's a thoughtful person, but it's also an animal that has a four stomachs. It's yeah, like a like a cow has a rumen where it eats, and then the grass goes in there, and then it comes back up, and they chew it, and then it goes somewhere else. Oh, because it's like it's got a room in it. I don't know if that figured into the taxonomic. Bit, like like they were maybe. like, oh, what's the deal with that cow? How does its stomach process all of that uh, all that grass? That's oh, got a room in it. Room in it. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Probably. What's your favorite animal to see at a zoo, Corey? Oh, gosh. I really like watching the orangutans. Hmm. They usually make me sad. I know. I feel bad that they're in there, but also just the how close they are to us. Yeah. As humans is crazy. I saw one make a like a handkerchief out of a, like a piece of paper and like tie it under its chin like he was wearing a little hat. It was so cool. Wait, is that how you wear a hat? Like a babushka would make a scarf. Oh, okay. Got it. Got yeah, it. Not, that's like a hat type Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I covering. didn't get that it was over its head. I thought Yeah. I thought he was like tucking it in like it was a bib. Oh, an ascot. That would be cute ascots too. Ascots and hats. Oh, I get man. Rangatang and an ascot's a good fucking look. <laughs> Any zoo animal wearing an ascot I would like to see. Uh-huh. That's my favorite zoo animal. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever's wearing the nicest ascot. Yeah. 
How about you? What's your favorite? Uh, You're I'm, a giraffe man, aren't you? I like giraffes pretty good. Also a big fan of the white-faced gibbon. Hmm. Agile. Yeah, this is a fun gibbon. You get some of the same uh, fun you would get from looking at an orangutan, but they're a little bit less close to us, so it's mm -hmm. a little bit less sad for me. Mm -hmm. But I liked that there's not any mention of the fact that they're at the zoo. They just happened to be there. It seems like there was some dialogue being done, and Eduardo Barreto was like, fuck it, I feel like drawing a, an antelope. So let's do a close-up of one of those while they're chatting. So it's a neat touch. Yeah, it worked. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozo. The what? <laughs> well, as the sound of that air horn and that dial-up modem indicate, there was a Natty B in this issue. When Beast Boy is pestering Cyborg, he calls him a bozo. Mm -hmm. As part of an extended bit of dialogue in which he calls him a bozo both literally and metaphorically, he says, Yo, bozo, you got some busted Transformers or something in that junkyard reject head of yours? Ouch. Mm-hmm. That is his way of trying to cheer Cyborg up by being an annoying little shit. Misguided, but his heart is for once in the right place. For, you know, that panel until the next one where he decides he's going to go try to creep on Starfire and hope that he can look at her while she's naked. Ugh. And it bears mentioning that throughout this whole time, he is in the form of a green bunny rabbit and he's hopping up and down ostensibly on Cyborg's belly. Yeah, that's not annoying. It's kind of cute in theory. I mean, I would obviously be horrified. I would find a green bunny that I knew was actually Beast Boy. Oh boy, I think still preferable to an actual bunny rabbit hopping up and down on my chest because I would know that there is less of a chance, I think, of Beast Boy eating his young in front of me because that would mean that at some point someone would have to sleep with Beast Boy. Wow, that's what my dad would call a long thought. <laughs> yeah, but... I don't know. I thought that was a pretty good Bozone moment. It was a good Bozone moment. Natty B. But I think my favorite Bozone moment that was not a Natty B is an extended exchange between piece of shit Danny Chase and piece of shit Beast Boy. <laughs> Danny has just finished bitching about how he should have a giant poster of himself in the tower. And Beast Boy says, keep your pants on, squirt. Wonder Girl's working on it during her spare time. Sides, who wants you up there without a uniform or a special name? Danny responds, I told you before, Moldhead, I'm not getting those. They're stupid and dumb. Beast Boy responds, Dumb? Yeah? Maybe you got ugly legs. And then Nightwing comes in and says, That's what I like to see, intelligent conversation between friends. It's what keeps this team great. I miss the days when Robin was making corny puns all the time and it was nice to see a more mature version of that like being pointed at the younger people on the team from nightwing it is and yeah later on he does also think to himself man was i that big a piece of shit when i was their age and uh i would like to say i know i haven't always been the kindest or the most uh kindly disposed towards dick grayson but uh no 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 you weren't no no, uh, Beast Boy and Danny Chase are significantly worse than you, Nightwing. And Batman probably had it coming. <laughs> yeah, you were right to sass him. 
And he didn't really even sass him that much. No. He just made dumb puns. Yeah. I mean, you probably would have crossed your arms and shook your head sadly at him. <laughs> made a almost inaudible <laughs> kind of Marge Simpson <laughs> noise of disapproval. Right. But you also would have let him wear long pants if he wanted to. <laughs> that is true. So I thought that was a pretty good boson moment. Yeah, I had the same one. I called it in my notes, I think, Moldhead versus Ugly Legs. I don't know why, but the phrase Ugly Legs is funny to me. It's an epitaph of that teenage boys would hurl at one another. It seems unusual. Yeah, it does. I Well, I think probably as unusual as an epithet, as an epitaph. Oh, I don't think it would be a gravestone thing. Yeah, I don't think it would be a deadly <laughs> insult. Here lies Danny Chase. <laughs> His legs were too ugly to live. I always mix those up. That's why I'm like, man, these gravestones aren't that insulting. Yeah, that would be a very odd medium for an insult comic to work in. Mm-hmm. Tombstones. Yeah. There is one other Bozone moment that I think is worth pointing out. It is when the puppeteer is talking to Gizmo, and the puppeteer says of Wildebeest, the guy's a weird creep, but he knows what he's doing. And Gizmo responds, yeah, yeah, I've heard that tune before. Mm-hmm. I think that is a nice double Bozone moment, first of all calling wildebeest a weird creep is both amusing and accurate Mm -hmm. and i also like that gizmo is giving a kind of subtweet type insult to dr light who nobody there knows Mm -hmm. so it's just for his own benefit he's like yeah you know who else was a weird creep dr light real piece of garbage Mm -hmm. and it also implies that he didn't know what he was doing despite other people saying that he did hey gizmo pretty sharp he's on the ball Every issue of a new Teen Titans comic has a Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans. I honestly don't remember who he picked as best and worst last night. Okay, I do remember the worst one. Ah. Danny Chase, right? No. Oh, I had Danny Chase, you didn't. Yeah, no, Danny Chase bugged the shit out of me, Mm -hmm. but on a more, I guess, emotional level, the way in which Cyborg dealt with Sarah's news... That she was going to pursue this giant promotion, but wanted to find a way to maintain their relationship. Mm. And uh, his approach was to shut down all hope of dialogue and walk away. Relatable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, relatable, but still shitty. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, I I think more irksome to read about because of that whole narcissism of small differences things. Like, you recognize a piece of yourself in that and are like, oh, that's not cool. I don't like that about me. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. So reminding me of parts <laughs> about me that I don't like. I did not choose Cyborg because I did like how he dealt with Beast Boy trying to cheer him up. When Beast Boy is being an annoying shit and is like, hey, I know you're upset. We need to talk about this. He's like, look, I need space. We can talk about it later. I promise I will talk to you when I'm ready but right now I need to process things a little bit. That kind of good communication, he should have used it with Sarah Charles. Probably Mm -hmm. should have used it with Sarah Sims like a billion years ago. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he is capable of that sort of self-awareness about his feelings, I think is a good sign, even if it is with a piece of shit like Beast Boy. And that was my issue too. I I appreciated that, but it's like, man, okay, if you're going to expend that emotional capital, like do it with a relationship. That is somebody, a character who I like better That is as the reader. That is fair. He showed poor priorities in yep. that way. 
and yeah, as I said, I had Danny Chase because, man, he just annoyed me so much in this. And yes, it annoyed me the ways in which he was presented as what Wolfman thought kids would want. It seemed very pandery mm-hmm. to a younger audience. And that was annoying. But that's not why I chose him. I chose him because he killed all those spiders that were there for prank school. Mm-hmm. And he was just an obnoxious shit about the wall poster and... He just really rubbed me the wrong way this issue. Yeah, no argument here. I also had Beast Boy as my runner-up for deciding to go try and spy on Starfire. Yes, I had him in contention as well. He did not win, I think, because in addition to doing that, he also tried very hard to be a good friend to Cyborg, which I appreciated. It doesn't make up for it, but it does counterbalance it in who the who's the worstness mm-hmm. of him. And also, I liked his Oscar Mayer Wiener song parody. I like that too. As he is approaching Victor's room, he sings to himself, Oh, I'm glad I am a member of the Titans. La 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 la, truly like to be. Because even though I'm small and green and buzzing, everyone is so in love with me. It's not bad for a song parody. Little lazy with the la 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 instead of, you know, coming up words that would connect Titans to truly like to be. But it was cute. Still pretty cute. Yeah. Yeah. I'll allow it. Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans? I had Dick Grayson for a number of reasons. I did too. Oh, nice. He demonstrated good leadership abilities. I think in the past we've dinged him for just saying, I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. Where he he really was like, okay, guys, we're going to get this figured out. Like you two go over there and do this thing and blah, blah, blah. He delegated well, but not in a jerky way. Mm Mm-hmm. I liked his self-awareness of when Danny Chase was being a shit. He was like, oh man, was I that much of a shit when I was little? Yep. That was cool. There's a scene where we talked about it a little bit, but we didn't talk about one of the weird parts of it where he's at the zoo with Terry Long and he has to go, he gets the call to go do Titan (laughs) business and Terry's like, oh, uh, kiss my wife for me. Yeah. Yeah. He says, kiss Donna for me. Weird. And yeah, Dick chooses not to engage. Mm-hmm. Which is the absolute right decision. Yeah. And the fact that he knows if he has to have a chat with somebody like Terry Long, you do it at the zoo so that uh, Eduardo Barreto gets to draw an antelope. <laughs> exactly. So for those reasons, I had Dick Grayson. Yeah, I had him for all of those reasons as well. Good leadership. Uh, much as I dislike Danny Chase, I feel like Nightwing is showing good mentorship towards him. He is being very supportive of Danny in a way that, frankly, I do find annoying, but I appreciate that he's trying to maybe steer away from the tough love model that he learned from Batman. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a good good call. It is. I do wish he would stop telling Danny he was right every single issue. Not just you're right, but you're absolutely right about that, Danny. Ugh. Once again, Danny, you are absolutely correct. What a precious treasure you are. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit much. Who did you have as your president of the drama club? Well, we already talked about it, but um, for just walking away in the midst of an emotionally intense thing, uh, Cyborg, and it did come up last night also that this idea of uh, he probably knew something was up because (laughs) things are going so well, and that kind of had the effect of choosing a destination breakup. Oh, that wasn't him. I had Sarah Charles as my choice because she was the one who chose the destination breakup. Oh, that's right. She called him. You had Vic. I had Sarah Charles. Yeah. Because, yeah, overall, I think she is very reasonable in the conversation. 
But she decides that she knows that they have to have a big, relationship-changing, emotionally fraught confrontation. She didn't necessarily call him to break up, but she called him with the understanding that they had to have a talk that would very likely lead to them breaking up. And she was like, let's go to Rockefeller Center and go figure skating. That is how we should do this. Yeah, the idea of a destination breakup. Always a bad idea. Very dramatic choice. We have a mutual friend who scheduled a destination breakup with a girl that he was dating uh, by suggesting that they go for a long hike first and then have their serious talk on a mountaintop, which is both overly dramatic and from the woman's point of view, I would imagine, terrifying. Like, I would not want to do that. Mm. Just a bad idea all around. Also, you're tired afterwards and you have to hike back down and yeah. drive home. And... That's one of the major problems with the destination breakup is it reaches a conclusion and then you're stuck together for another significant period of time. You really need an exit plan if you're going to have a yucky conversation, I feel like, where you yes. can go like cyborg, be alone mm -hmm. in your room. And I would also say, I know a lot of people favor doing it in public so that there is less of a scene. I think you should maybe bear in mind the effect that you will have on the people around you. Uh, I have had to wait on tables while people were breaking up and it sucked. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah very awkward. Yeah, I got broken up with in a public place that was outdoor seating at a restaurant once and hmm. uh, it was just a, a giant bummer because there was the breakup but then there's also like, oh... Great, now I'm tearful in front of a bunch of strangers. Yeah, yeah. and the server then has to just be like, uh, I have to... I, so you probably don't want dessert, huh? <laughs> Should I come back? Like, at what point during the dinner do you do that? It seems like ambushing if you wait till the end, but it's rude if you don't. Yeah, I guess I would just bring the check and be like, no rush, whenever you're ready, bye. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave this here. Ugh. Yeah, that's true. Bad job, Sarah. I mean, good job being dramatic. Well, that's why she is my president of the drama club. Fair. Alright, this is one that's going to take some doing. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue were most noteworthy? There were so many that, in the interest of time and sanity, I pared it down to two pairs of people. I think that is a good choice. I don't know if I can pick a winner, but probably the most striking in terms of uh, just being real 80s is uh, Joey yeah. and uh, Sarah. Yeah, I agree with that. They both look fantastic, I think. Sarah is wearing some nice, slightly baggy green overalls over a mustard yellow shirt, and it's a good look. Yeah, the colors to me leaned a little more 70s, but... Uh... That's okay. Hey, who doesn't like a sexy Wario? <laughs> I don't think those are quite his colors, but uh, I don't know. I'm a, I am a fan of uh, ladies' overall fashion. I think I think it looks. I think it's a nice look. Ladies' overall fashion versus ladies' fashion overall. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. I like the Oshkosh Bagosh look. Mm -hmm. I also was very impressed by Jericho's look. He has kind of a color swapped Back to the Future thing going on. He is wearing a white puffy vest, I mm -hmm. believe, over a denim shirt with three quarters length puffy sleeves. Yeah, or sleeves rolled up. Yeah, yeah, over a 
long-sleeved black t-shirt or possibly like thermal shirt black thermal shirt mm -hmm. and he's got you know jeans and he is wearing a red hat which mm -hmm. is back when you could wear a red hat and not <laughs> have me immediately think that you're a total douchebag mm -hmm. which sucks man like that one year that i got drunk and agreed to coach a little league team mm -hmm. i got the hat from that but it's red oh i can't wear that little league hat anymore and i fucking earned that thing is there writing on it what is there writing on that? there is a p on it but i feel like like from the back from the back and you know the, it creates that moment of panic i think for people where i mean there's a not insubstantial segment of the population that would immediately feel unsafe i think seeing a white guy in a red hat mm -hmm. and i think that's a reasonable feeling but 1988 it's fine good job jericho yeah he didn't know no <laughs> who, who could yeah wasn't a prescient red hat no and uh yeah man i just love the puffy white vest mm -hmm. it's i mean a little bit back to the future but also like i can see missy elliott wearing an outfit like that oh sure it's just cool and smart very layered mm -hmm. yeah because it's chilly this is winter most of the time there are a couple of panels like when we see puppeteers fancy mansion in upstate new york it says that it's winter but it looks kind of tropical mm -hmm. and there are a few panels that are like that but mm -hmm. still joy wants to keep warm sure i can see why yeah the other couple you mentioned i assume is sarah charles and vic that is correct he is dressed perhaps like an old man farmer yeah, he, it's kind of an old man look. It's kind of a slight twist on his usual incognito look. He's not wearing a trench coat. He is wearing a fedora. And he's wearing a green winter jacket, I think, over a high-necked white turtleneck sweater mm -hmm. with a lot of ribbing around the neck and a pair of jeans and gloves that match his fedora. Mm -hmm. I think it's the fedora that makes it look like an old man. It's intended to disguise his face, but... We discussed last night that there's a sliding scale, but I think at this point you kind of need to be 70 or older to pull off a fedora. Does that still sound right to you? I think it was 65. Was to, oh, the sliding scale thing, though. Yeah, because like when your your dad, Jim, mm -hmm. was in his 60s, he looked fine wearing a fedora. Mm -hmm. And he still, now he still would. But I, I now if I saw a 65-year-old now wearing a fedora, might be able to pull it off. But there's still a chance I would look askant at him. Mm -hmm. Askant? Yeah. Like, hey. I think you said escant. Yeah, isn't that the phrase? I thought it was escants. That's if there's two scants. <laughs> Either way, I'll look down funny. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Or, try and stop me. Sarah Charles has a more unique look, I think. She is wearing what I think just in the context of a comic book looks more like a superhero outfit. I think it might just be like a thermal hood but or some kind of a hat. Like, but it's like a ski mask that has the face part cut out of it. Mm -hmm. And it is a look that is recognizable as being a super heroic look mm -hmm. uh, to me. But she's wearing that with a pink checkered scarf, pink leggings and leg warmers, and bright pink figure skates, white gloves, and a navy blue sweater dress. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a striking look. I like it. Yeah. And they've both got ostensibly rental skates, but what's unique about them is they match their outfits in terms of their color, and they have, like, old-school, like, uh, kangaroos-style Velcro straps holding them on, which 
Oh. I don't recall that being an ice skate thing, but uh, it looks like fun. Yeah, it might be. Do you think they have the little pocket in them? Nope. Oh. Those are some off-brand ruse if they don't come with a pocket. Oh, yeah. No, I just mean in terms of the wide Velcro. I loved Velcro shoes, man. Did you have those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I loved my ruse, too. I had an off-brand Velcro shoes, and the brand was Jocks. J-O-X. Ooh! That makes you sound like an Australian tough guy. <laughs> okay. I think I was like seven, but I'll take it. Yeah, I love my ruse. I think we probably have talked about it at some point in the past. I love the fact that they had a pocket in the sneaker, mm -hmm. but that pocket was too small to put anything in. I think I could maybe put a quarter Some in there. change would Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that was pretty much it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they were designed for drugs. I was just thinking, you put your weed in there. It probably... I mean, they were sold and marketed almost exclusively to children. Yeah, so no. But not exclusively, though, because for a long time, their spokesperson was uh, Walter Payton. He had a headband that said ruse on it. Oh. I don't think he had cleats that were ruse, but he wore the headband for them. Huh. So maybe they were designed for drugs. Drugs for kids? <laughs> yeah, well, and then kids decided to start wearing them, and then they're like, oh, well, huh. we can't admit that the pocket was for drugs, so mm -hmm. there's no reason why we shouldn't sell these to children, but maybe that's why the company's not around anymore. Could be. <laughs> what timestamps did we have? We had a few. One that I remember that is a little bit of a stretch is the helicopter that Boyle flies looks almost just like the Airwolf helicopter, which I think is an actual helicopter, but also the 80s uh, TV show, which I think stopped a few years before this came out, but I think it was in heavy rotation still. Along similar lines as Airwolf, there is a scene that I was tempted to read as more of a timestamp than it really was when Donna is taking photographs of models in what looks like a car show. Mm -hmm. She is standing in front of an exit sign, mm -hmm. but her head is blocking part of the exit sign. And it's the kind that says exit. And then there's an arrow pointing towards the exit. And I got really excited because I thought it was a sign that just said kit this way. And so I was like, Oh, is kit from Knight Rider at this car show? Oh. That's very exciting. That is not in fact, what was probably going on. What was going on in that is that, Donna was taking a picture of a model who looks a lot like Starfire, but isn't Starfire, in that she has bright orange skin and giant red hair. Mm -hmm. And so it does make me think that perhaps I was being too harsh on Starfire for not protecting her secret identity better, if there are, in fact, a slew of famous models who are bright orange, seven feet tall, and have giant hair. Mm -hmm. But back to the timestamps. There was a rotary phone oh. that also had a good sound effect that went with it, which was dibs, dibs. And we had a rotary phone when I was a kid, and I don't remember it making that noise, but maybe it did. No, that sounds like a cell phone on vibrate. Mm. The rotary phone didn't have a vibrate setting. We didn't actually own the phone. We rented it from the phone company because yep. it came with our house. Yep, they used to do that. That's so weird. That sounds like, and we used to pay a nickel for an orange, and when Pa would come into town, we'd beg him to get us some rock candy. I think it's because it's a physical device, it has a little bit that old-timey feel to it, mm -hmm. but that's a pretty solid, I mean, not solid, but a profitable business practice, right? Like, a lot of internet stuff you rent from the internet company. Yeah. Uh, 
most yeah. of the software and stuff you have these days, instead of buying it outright, you, you pay a service for it? I guess. It still just seemed weird that there was a rotary phone in our house that we didn't own, that we leased from the phone company. Like, that's specifically, I know that is basically the same business model as routers and shit that still get used. Just but technology is, yeah. is old, so it yes. seems like, what? Yeah. Shouldn't we have just paid, like, a dollar for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I kind of like rotary phones, though. I, I miss that a little bit. I do not. I like pushing buttons. Like pushing my buttons ah. by bad mouth and rotary phones. Okay. I had one last timestamp, and that's that when uh, Danny Chase is freaking out about not having his poster on the wall, he mentions a photo mat. Oh, that's right. There were certainly a lot of photo mats in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. I had a couple more timestamps. One of them is the pretend obstetrician smoking inside in a lab. I think that's the sort of thing you wouldn't see these days anymore. No. I mean, granted, he's not a real obstetrician, but I think that would be more of a giveaway that he was perhaps not a real doctor. Mm -hmm. Granted, the window is totally busted out, so there's more ventilation, but still, odd choice. Seems weird. The other one is maybe not as specific a timestamp, but it was confusing to me and I had to look it up. When they are making their escape from the prison, Wildebeest says, this just turned into an e-ticket ride. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I had to look up. I think what makes it more of a timestamp is if you said that now, I think there would be the immediate assumption. And there was by me at first that it was just like an electronic ticket. So it's on your phone or something Mm -hmm. uh, rather than a physical printed out ticket. But what it used to mean, and I think still may, is the top tier of rides at an amusement park. When Disneyland first opened, there were different types of tickets that you could buy that would enable you to ride different things within the park. The A through D tickets of rides. Initially, D was the best tier of rides, and then they expanded them and started doing E-level rides, which were the best kind, so it was an E-ticket ride. If you had an E-ticket, you could go on the best rides. So basically what Wildebeest was saying is, this ride just got more exciting. I did not know that, and I'm glad to know it. I know we have actually a fair amount of big Disney fans who listen to the show. And so if you guys want to let me know if that's still a thing that gets referred to, I'm a little curious. Just use the hashtag Ziggy Thick. With two C's. With two C's, yes. Corey, it's time for a battle of the band names. Oh, good. What band names did you find in this issue? They will be going up against, once again, returning champs, Gods of Science, who eked out a victory over the Bolts of Bedevilment last week. Mm. So what band name in this do you want to go with? Well, I was hoping I could use the Fearsome Five, which I guess was a B-list Furious Five. (laughs) type of uh, ensemble but uh that turns out it was a band from i think the the 60s or, or maybe 70s that was like kind of like a garage rock but in the vein of the monkeys or, or something huh. like that uh, kind of band listen to one of their songs on on youtube not bad so can't use them which left me with but one choice which i think is a great band name but unfortunately also resonates pretty strongly with a lot of press that are former president had which is master of distraction 
yeah, I agree it's a good band name. I think that those connotations are going to be difficult to be overridden yeah. for me. The three that I had, we had uh, Mayhem's Doctor. Sounds like, to me, a, like, pretentious art rock band that uh, was probably inspired by one of Thomas Pynchon's lesser-known works. Like Gravity's Rainbow, Mayhem's Doctor. You know, hmm. I think that's an okay name. We had Flex of Aluminum, which that's F-L-E-C-K-S, mm. not F-L-E-X. Although both would kind of make sense. Mm. Uh, but Flex of Aluminum reminded me of the band Train's song, Drops of Jupiter. You would absolutely recognize it if you heard it. It was part of the, like, alternative pop of the late 90s, uh, like a Big Head Todd and the Monsters or a uh, okay. Toad the Wet Sprocket type of thing, kind of. Mm -hmm. Gin Blossoms-esque, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shivered. I saw that you shivered, which is why I think we're not going with Flex of <laughs> Aluminum. So what we ended up agreeing on is I Am the Thunder. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which right. I think is a pretty good band name it's something that thunder says which i like so much better than i am thunder just i am the thunder yeah it's a cool tough thing to say and i think we decided they are a kind of self-aware but still braggadocious garage rock but kind of heavier garage rock mm -hmm. group very loud like a louder maybe slightly more hard rocking black keys type mm. thing okay and yeah, braggadocious, they're aware that it's funny how much they're bragging, but they still kind of mean the brag. Mm -hmm. I uh, like it. Yeah, and so that's I Am The Thunder. And uh, we'll put that up and see how they do against the gods of science. All right, good luck, folks. Should be a barn burner. Mm. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm not sure why I started talking like that. Oh. Well, Corey, I have but one final question I must put to you. Wapoot! In the fairly arbitrarily determined at this point year of our Lord, 1989, and the month of our Lord, June, what is Aqualad probably up to, Corey Wapoot? All right, so this is early in the month, and we find Aqualad visiting his buddies, the Titans, in, in New York on the 7th. Uh, he wasn't staying at Titans Tower, though. He was staying with some more bohemian friends of his which was his fellow science aficionado phineas t freak uh needed aqualad's help watching his roommate freddy's cat freddy was out of town mm. along with franklin would you describe freddy as a thin man oh no he's more corpulent mm. Mm. so phineas was out aqualad had worked up a ravenous appetite after swimming around a bunch all day as he does and i uh, came home and found this tray of brownies and I was like, woohoo! Turned out they were Jamaican incense flavored heavily. Um, mm. He ate several. Not quite so much that it was scary, but enough that he had to really park on the couch for a long while in front of the TV. And what he had was one of those serendipitous experiences that maybe many of us can relate to, especially if you're into eating Jamaican incense flavored brownies or that sort of a thing or or things that we can aspire to have these experiences where anyway he's sitting on the couch 
watching TV, and the pinball counting song video comes on, which is a, a Pointer Sister song that was usually sliced up into these one-minute segments on the Sesame Street show to teach kids how to count to 12. Mm, um, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, six, seven, seven eight, eight, nine, ten, ten eleven, twelve. <laughs> such, a, such a jam. Ah, love and, that song. Uh, it's accompanied by this truly psychedelic journey that this pinball goes through these 12 stages of weirdness. And he is so into this, really, really grooving on it. And he looks up at the clock next to the TV, which is one of those, I think uh, our parents had one, does kind of flip number clocks. Mm-hmm. But this is like a, a super duper fancy one where it's got the, the date and the, the minutes and everything. And that moment of serendipity is when he looks up at the clock on account of the date and the time, it says... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wow. So it was twelve thirty-four and no, it 15. was it was one twenty-three and forty-five seconds in the afternoon on the seventh of June, but because we're in the US we put the month first, six seven, and the year eighty-nine. Wow. Did he keep waiting for the ten, eleven, twelve to show up? No, he was so excited he jumped up. He was like, Phineas! <laughs> Freddie Franklin, you guys! Oh, oh, Franklin was there too. Well, no, he just he oh, wasn't, gotcha. but he got so right. excited he wanted. Yeah, no, his... I, I was trying to call to mm-hmm. Franklin, but he was off being freewheeling. Yeah, somewhere probably in Austin, Texas. Yeah, that's his disposition. Mm-hmm. There's a fabulous furry Freak Brothers. Is it a movie or a TV show that's coming out? I only saw like the headlines of the stuff about this on the internet when i, I saw, was uh, researching this piece mm, i saw woody harrelson is involved in I, some way yeah i think possibly movie but yeah nervous and curious yeah i remember really enjoying reading your issues of the fabulous furry freak brothers i am hesitant to revisit them I, I so many of the underground comics from that era are like they're transgressive in a lot of ways, some of which are really fun and still kind of transgressive and interesting. And some of them verge into the territory of what we would now consider like edgelordy stuff where they're transgressive in that they are, no, it's cool that we're overtly super sexist and racist. We break all the rules. And some of that shit comes across as really fucking gross and yucky these days. And I don't know that Gilbert Sheldon's work falls in that category, but I'm nervous to find out. Yeah, it does make me nervous to go back there. Well, that was one thing that Aqualad was probably up to in June of 1989 for some reason. (laughs) Six, seven, eight, nine. The other thing that he was up to was, as you mentioned, he was in New York visiting with the Titans. And while he was there, he learned that the mentor of his good friend Dick Grayson, Batman, was having a big budget movie made about him. The 1989 movie Batman, directed by Tim Burton, was set to premiere later that month. And so Aqualad decided he really wanted to be there for that moment and maybe learn more about his friend Dick from that movie. And now it turns out Dick Grayson is not featured in that film, but they were pretty tight-lipped about what was going to happen in that movie. So he was very excited. So he was like, you know what? I'm here. Uh, an acquaintance of mine, wouldn't necessarily call him a friend, but certainly encountered him a number of times. Beast Boy is always talking about what a big shot he is in Hollywood. I wonder if he can help get me tickets to that. So Aqualad calls up Beast Boy. Beast Boy, of course, is like, oh, I totally can. I'm a big
big celebrity. I'm friends with everyone who's anybody in Hollywood. Why don't you come out here? We'll go out there a week early. We'll hang out. We'll party. And I will absolutely get you into that movie. And uh, Aqualad, maybe a little bit naively, said, yeah, no, that sounds really fun. Uh, let's do that. And so he goes out to L.A. And they get there the week before the movie. And uh, Beast Boy is forced to confront the fact that he is not the A-lister that he thinks he is. He's probably still part of the alphabet, unlike the puppeteer and third member of Trident. But he's not really in the upper echelon and isn't really having a lot of luck meeting up with any celebrities. But then, in a stroke of luck, he happens to see Zsa Zsa Gabor. And he's like, oh, I bet she can get me those tickets. He's like, hey, Aqualad, I'm my best friend, Zsa Gabor, is over there. I'm going to go talk to her. So he turns himself into a bug, mm -hmm. and he flies over there, and he starts being like, hey, Zsa can you get me into Batman? It's great to see you. And he starts being kind of a schmoozy dick and annoying the crap out of Zsa Gabor. And so Zsa Gabor tries to swat him out of the air, which is a perfectly reasonable reaction to being confronted with a Beast Boy. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately... Beast Boy zips out of the way, and she ends up slapping a police officer in the face. Oh, no. That doesn't go so good for her. She is arrested. Turns out there was an open flask in her car. Oh. Yeah, it didn't go great. And she had a court date. She started milking it for publicity, all of this stuff. But Beast Boy feels pretty bad about this. And he's like, oh, man, gosh. You know, I'm going to get my good friend Zsa Gabor out of this trouble. I'm going to go to the Supreme Court and tell them they have to let her go. And Aqualad's like, it's gar. That's not how <laughs> any of this fucking works. Like, the case hasn't gone to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's not going to rule on it. But Beast Boy didn't listen. He buzzed into the Supreme Court and started just, like, yelling at everyone about Zsa, Zsa Gabor. They had him thrown out of there. But unfortunately, Beast Boy made quite an impression on the Supreme Court of the United States. Which is why, on June 26th, the Supreme Court ruled that it was legal to give 16-year-olds the death penalty. <laughs> a horrible ruling, Oof. but one that was inspired by them having to deal with Beast Boy for an afternoon. Oh my goodness. Thank God he didn't bring Danny Chase with him. That's all I could say. Yeah, they would have made it 14. Compulsory or <laughs> yeah. something. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Oof. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next week to talk about the 100th issue of The Defenders. Wow. I know. I'm looking forward to that. Find out what the League of Substitute Satans is up to. Yep. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically at ttwasteland at gmail.com. And hey, if you can't find us there, you can find us on the social medias in the internet. We'll be there using the hashtag ZiggyThick. I'm probably not actually going to use that hashtag, but you guys should. I'm curious as to what will happen. Probably you'll learn about some thick Ziggy out there. Ziggy is pretty thick, Corey. I, that's, that's what they say. That's what all the kids are talking about. But yeah, we're on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and... Uh, you know, some other places, seacaptainsonly.com. Instagram. Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I think we are actually on LinkedIn and Grindr, I think, still. Anyway, you can find us on the social media, probably. 
that's uh twitter is where we do the battle of the band names polls so you can vote on those there and hey if you can't find us there there's another place you can look and that's deep inside your heart we'll be there we always have been there i'll be ruminating yes that's what i'll do Corey. i'll be a ruminant in there <laughs> Using my four-chambered stomach. Is it four chambers in the stomach? It's a four-chambered heart that mammals have. Uh, two chambers to the Two chambers to the, to stomach. the stomach. Uh-huh, the rumen and the... So I got four chambers in my one. heart. If I'm a ruminant, I got two in my stomach. And uh, and two things on your feet. By... By... And a split hoof? Mm. No, no, that's not an cows. ungulate. That's a... Uh... Ungulates are ruminants. But right. Not all ruminants are ungulates. Right, but the ungulates don't have a split hoof. Right. Yeah. So that would be a, your cow, and right. your, your wildebeest. Right, but uh, but so you got four chambers in your heart, probably two in your stomach, probably. Mm-hmm. Where are the other thirty chambers coming from? I <laughs> died. <laughs> Call Jizza or somebody on that one. I have to ask. What are you doing in people's hearts? Oh, me probably. Mixing a mixing a drink. Nice. I made a drink last night while we were recording last time. It's a Rattler with a shot of tequila in it. I like that idea. It's very good. Mm. It's like a weird fruity boiler maker kind of putting back in the alcohol that you wish a Rattler had. Exactly. Mm. Plus a little. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's a good time. Mm. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can do so by checking us out at Patreon.com/ttwasteland. If you do, there's a whole bunch of stuff up on Patreon that is just for our donors. The monthly podcast, What the Duck, podcast most filed, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show, is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. But there's a lot of other stuff up there, too. I try to, a couple of times a week, put up a new video review of a classic comic book. And there's some other bonus podcasts that are just for donors up there, too hours and hours probably at this point close to 100 hours of entertainment up there that is available exclusively to our donors so if you are looking for that stuff uh feel free to make a donation it would mean a great deal to me i really appreciate that the show means enough to so many of you that you donate and make it possible for us to keep doing the show it is awesome of you thank you indeed if you would like to support the show non-monetarily Corey, what's a way people can do that? I would tell people. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Mm -hmm. Just tell anyone and everyone. Hey, here's the thing. You guys can listen to it. Yeah. And then tell them how to find it. Maybe not everyone. You shouldn't necessarily. We were discussing last night that you maybe shouldn't tell your great-grandmother because she might not like it. Uh But she might. It's fine. Yeah, probably depends on your relationship with the person yeah you probably know your great-grandmother better than i do yeah but here's one thing you definitely can tell her that's a nice fedora you're wearing they can pull it off they are past the sliding scale even yeah probably yeah probably yeah if your great-grandmother is over 70 tell her hey nice fedora Mm -hmm. or if she's not if she doesn't have a fedora you could get her one i think she'd appreciate that yeah (laughs) anyway (laughs) Until next week, Sklamoo! Thanks. Hashtag Ziggy Thick. Bye. Bye. Bye.